0: I'm Trisha Johnson, host of Aspen Ideas To Go. I'm stepping away from the mic for our special series on spirituality. Public radio host Joshua Johnson leads these intimate conversations that delve into faith and spirituality. Here's Joshua.
1: Welcome back. The Aspen Ideas to Go offstage series on spirituality continues as we sit down with Rabbi Shira Stuttman. I'm Joshua Johnson, the host of 1A from WAMU and NPR and the guest host of this special series. Rabbi Stuttman is senior rabbi at a historic synagogue that is doing some innovative things. The Sixth and I in downtown Washington, D.C. It's a non-denominational, non-membership, non-traditional synagogue. Talks, concerts, comedy shows are held there with the goal of enlightening and inspiring people to live more meaningful lives. And the rabbi joins us now here on the campus of the Aspen Institute in Aspen, Colorado. Rabbi Stuttman, welcome.
0: Thank you, thank you so much for having me.
1: Describe the congregation to someone who's never seen it, never been there.
0: Yeah, it is. It is quite a unique place. And I use that word purposefully. So it has two parts. One part is it is an arts and culture center. So we have book talks and podcast recordings and concerts and comedy shows, bringing in people from all around the country, sometimes all around the world to sort of teach their ideas um, and engage in sort of um, conversation with the Washington community, secular people of all faith or no faith at all. The other part of Sixth and I is that it is a spiritual community. It is a Jewish community specifically for people in their 20s and 30s. It'll come as no surprise to anyone that D.C. has a huge population of people who are young and often quite idealistic and come to D.C. Um, for their first few jobs. And And our goal is to help them lead more meaningful spiritual lives during their time in D.C. and then beyond.
1: Has Sixth and I always been this kind of, as you put it, unique congregation or has it evolved over the years?
0: It, the, 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 the building itself has a great story. Uh, the building was built approximately 110 years ago as the second home of Addis Israel Synagogue, which is still in based in Washington, D.C., and at a certain point in the 50s, the congregants of the synagogue were moving more out to the burbs. And so the synagogue itself moved to upper Northwest DC and the building became a church. It was the Turner Memorial AME Church for 50 years. And at a certain point, those parishioners were moving out to the burbs as well. And the church was trying to, uh, the the leaders, the church leaders were trying to sell the building so that it would become another house of worship. But there were no takers. And so uh, instead, the building went under contract to become a nightclub. If you ever step foot in Sixth and I, you will see it. It's a gorgeous building. It would have been a great nightclub. It is a better house of worship. And so <laughs> thank God three Jewish philanthropists found out about this building and they just bought it. They had no idea what they were going to do with it. And so little by little over the last 15 years or so, Sixth and I has become what it is today, which is, as I said, both this arts and culture center and also this sort of contemporary synagogue. How long have you been at Sixth and I? So I'm the first rabbi at Sixth and I. I've only been there about eight years. When Sixth and I first opened, as I said, they had no idea what they wanted to do with this building. And so they started with um, the book talks and every once in a while a concert. And there were itinerant rabbis that would come in and and lead services there. But at a certain point, uh, we realized that, again, because of this large population of young adults who are not connected to any of the more traditional synagogues, it was important for them to have a place to call their spiritual home. And so I came on board and we started growing the community in about 2010.
1: I know it's still a fairly new congregation, but have you noticed any changes or any cycles in terms of who shows up to synagogue, different times a year, different times of the week, uh, It's over the course of the life of Sixth and I?
0: It's such a great question. So, yes, we've noticed a few different uh They're not really challenges, they really are opportunities. So for instance, one of the things that we're noticing is that we had this idea, it was so naive in retrospect, that we would be a spiritual community for people in their 20s and 30s, and then they would leave DC. But it turns out people are not leaving DC. The young Jewish couples, young Jewish individuals are settling in the city. And so all of this—the these people that we thought would come in and then leave are actually coming in and staying. And so little by little, the average age of our population is inching up, even as we continue to welcome in the younger people. The people that we call the quote unquote old people, meaning the ones who are like 39 years old, right? Those people are, are sticking around a I'm 38, so I, I don't know how I'm supposed I, to feel hearing I'm that. I'm 45, and I'm one of the oldest people at 6 nine, so, um, it is very 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 funny. We'll park um,
1: our walkers at the door. That's, right.
0: It, it does keep me young. I say that all the time, and it's factually true. Um, the other thing, of course, that changed is that uh, when Six and I started, you know, um, one of our, our 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 primary core values has always been welcoming in people. Doesn't matter if you're Jewish or not, or half, or a quarter, or it doesn't matter who you are. We want to welcome you into our space. Um, but when Six and I first started, Obama was president. And so the city had a very different feeling. And so the people who we welcomed into our space tended to be more progressive, more liberal. And it was just easier for us to say, oh, sure, everyone is welcome, because everyone was more like us. So you know, a few years ago, there was a big surprise, at least for me, I think for other people in DC as well, when the administration changed. Um, And so Sixth and I has had to change as well. and so we've had to evaluate what it means to be a welcoming community and if we want to welcome everyone how does that include welcoming people who are supporters of the current administration
1: what does that look like in practice has there been a real big change that had to happen was it a series of little subtle things what surprised you the most about making that transition
0: so um there were a few things that needed to happen so first of all once the uh the election happened, and we knew that the administration was going to change. There was a tremendous amount of fear, uh, specifically in the Jewish community, and specifically among a lot of millennials that hadn't um, experienced anti-Semitism themselves. Um, and so, after uh, the march in Charlottesville, we started to have to change how we talk to people about anti-Semitism specifically and about um, the potential challenges of the new um, of the new administration. I think that so one of the things we had to we started to do was the rabbi started to talk about politics from what we call the bema, from the pulpit, more often, and that made some people uncomfortable. People who were more conservative in their orientation and their politics, it made them more uncomfortable. It made them uncomfortable, and so we, as an institution, had to get used to the idea that we knew we were going to be making people uncomfortable with some of the words we were saying from the pulpit, but we were going to say them anyway because we believe that the Jewish religion, the Jewish civilization, um, commands us to speak out against injustice. And so we were going to continue to say that. So for the first time, Sixth and I was acknowledging, people are going to hear this, they're going to hate it, and we're going to be able to tolerate that. It's going to be okay. So that was one way we changed. We actually started a special affinity group for our Republican Jewish congregants. Really? Yeah. It's called Lean Right. Right. (laughs) <laughs> um, which is great. Lean right. And then the subheading is for the elephant in the room, which I think is incredibly <laughs> clever. Um, you know, because, I can picture it. It's perfect. Right? No, it's right. great. I didn't come up with it. Someone else <laughs> did. You know, um, the Jewish community, the non-Orthodox Jewish community tends to be more progressive. And so there were a number of um, young Jews in Washington who felt that they had no spiritual home because everywhere they went, some rabbi would be talking about immigration. Some rabbi would be talking about vulnerable populations or the queer community. or, And so we started an affinity group so that those people could get together, talk about the ideas that were important to them, but also still be part of our larger spiritual community. And so thank God a lot of those people stuck around. Like we didn't lose a lot of those people. And nowadays if they come to services and one of the rabbis speaks about politics, they'll they they know what to expect, right? They know what's coming and they might roll their eyes a little bit at us, but they're still part of our larger of our larger community.
1: Well what are the baseline foundational connections among everybody at Sixth and I? Are there certain things that your congregation tries to focus on beyond politics, beyond the culture wars, beyond the issues of the day to try to make sure people kind of stay together, that they still view themselves as one congregation and don't start to pull apart along fault lines?
0: Yeah, it's a it's really a great question. I mean, like on the one hand, I want to be cynical and I want to say, you know, there's that old sort of Cliche: Two Jews, three opinions. You know, I'm sure. I'm sure we're not the only culture that has that. You know, as, as part of. So, um, but I do think that what keeps us together as a community is um, is our is our core belief that practicing leading a, a Jewish life. I would say a spiritual life, but like my language is Judaism, right? Leading a Jewish life can increase meaning, can create a meaningful life for you. And that life of meaning will ripple out to the people that you interact with. And that is true whether you are a progressive or whether you are you know, a Democrat or a Republican or whoever you are or a radical. This idea that practicing in a faith-based community can really lead to a life of meaning for yourself and a life of service for others. And that's something that we all, well, we all teach and we, try, we aspire to at Sixth and I, even if we don't all do it perfectly.
1: How much have the last few years, particularly with the growth in Sixth and I, forced you to grow spiritually. Where has your walk with God changed or evolved in the last few years?
0: So there are so many. The reason that I'm hesitating is there are so many stories that I want to tell you right now, but most of them are in rabbinic confidence. So I can't. Oh, and don't but tell what, me anything no, you I can't tell me. Of course, I will yeah, not. I just... But what I want to say is I have um, evolved in tremendous ways. First of all, I have found my I have, I have become reconciled with the idea that not everyone is going to love everything I say and that what it means to be a faith leader is that sometimes you have to act um, as... Um, sometimes you have to uh, spur people on to action, right? To afflict the comfortable and to comfort the afflicted. That's mm-hmm. what we do. And so over the last few years, I've been doing a lot more of afflicting the comfortable. And a lot more of comforting the afflicted. We deal with all these young people who came to DC, they were so idealistic about government and about the possibilities, you know, and then all of a sudden everything shifted under their feet. So um, I, have, I have had to evolve in terms of sort of my willingness to, to take risks and say what I think needs to be said to our community. Um, I've also had to be able to tolerate um, disagreement. Right. There are some there was um, someone that I was just speaking with last week who is a sixth denier who was lobbying against uh, against the Violence Against Women Act um, on Capitol Hill. And it wasn't that I didn't say to this person, I I think we might want to talk about that. But it was that I had to say I had to say in my mind this person came to talk to me about something else that was going on in their life, and so I'm not—I can't double down on the political part of the conversation, even as it even made me feel a little bit nauseous inside. Um, so I've had to um, practice compassion for everyone, and I think that what it means. Well, what it means to be a, a rabbi or a pastor, I think, is to love your congregants, no matter who they are or what they believe. To just continue to love them, um, and sometimes that's been harder than others.
1: Interesting, you say that you've had to practice compassion, not to just be compassionate.
0: Oh, I don't, I don't know what it's like. Pra- compassion is hard. Compassion is, is, it, it's. I'm I I, it's much easier to feel hate. Hate is so easy. Anger. I love it. It's like my default emotion is anger. And of course, there's so many opportunities to feel angry over the last few years. And so instead, what I've been practicing is compassion and just trying to understand what makes people tick, why they are the way they are. By the way, to to, to, to be very like sort of a little bit cynical about this, I think that what will change the political dynamic in America is practicing compassion for everyone, right? I think that what might bring us back to a more love-filled administration will be more Americans treating each other with compassion. So I think it's like a win-win. I think it'll be good for sort of more progressive politics and I think it's good for humanity as well.
1: Is there something specific from the Jewish faith? I know all of the Abrahamic faiths talk about compassion in some form, many and faiths beyond that. Is there something specific from your Jewish faith, from your Jewish walk, that helps you conceive of compassion, practice compassion? Is there something specific you turn to?
0: Oh, every single day. So there are a few different texts that I turn to all the time. One is goes back in the book of Genesis. Um, the, the text reads that we were all created in God's image, right? Each one of us was created Selah Elohim, as we teach. We were all created in God's every single person. So now you can think of someone who you really, who is the person in this world, I won't ask you to say it, who you really believe, no, there's no way. But as Jews, we are commanded, no, no, that person too has God in them. So your job is to find it. Um, We are also, one of the ways we understand God in Judaism is that Um, our responsibility is to walk in God's ways in the world. And God, everywhere in the Hebrew Bible and in all of our texts, um, we are taught that God is a God of compassion. On the High Holy Days, on the Jewish festivals, there was a specific prayer that talks about God as a compassionate God. So if we know that God is compassionate and that we are supposed to be like God, we are created in God's image, then it just follows very logically that we too are supposed to be compassionate. Um, I think that the Jewish uh, people as, as a culture, um, sometimes I think because of our own trauma, um, there are there are, are moments when I felt like um, it's harder for us to have compassion for ourselves, you know, and often for, and for others as well. This is not like a, a sweeping generalization, but I've just seen this in places, you know, we're always striving and growing and learning and doing more and that but to, to pause and just have compassion for the self and for the other is a little bit more of a growth area. And so that's something I've been working on and trying to help the, com- the community do, too.
1: Before I let you go, I do want to talk to you a little bit more about the way that you're working with young people. You spend a lot of time, as I understand it, with young people before marriage. Yep. What are you finding that couples are asking about, struggling with, thinking about... Thinking they know and don't really know before marriage these days. What are the what are the top topics that come up?
0: Um, uh, I'm so sorry you have to let me go because I love these questions. It's so great <laughs> to think about. Um, so um, here are a few questions that um, that couples are struggling with. You know, a lot of it. It used to be a few for the first few thousand years of Jewish history. I think that. Our, our rabbinic leaders could not have imagined a time when people would want to marry people who were Jews, right? The idea of an interfaith couple of like a Jewish person marrying a non-Jew, it was just no one wanted to be with the Jews. We were like a sort of pariah community. And nowadays in America, we are the, this is according to the Pew, we are the most respected religion in America, which is crazy. I know it's, it's, it's just a, it's a sea change. It really is. Um, And so the intermarriage rate between Jews and people of other or no faiths is 74% among um, non-Orthodox Jews. So one of the issues I'm dealing with with a lot of these um, couples is what does it mean to lead a spiritual life, a meaning-filled life, even if both partners aren't Jewish, if more than one faith is being practiced in the house, if the house is more cultural and less like sort of um, religiously oriented. So that is, you know, I am the rabbi. So this is one of the things they would come to talk to me about is sort of what is, meaning going to look like in the house going forward um, I also think that for a lot of couples and I'm saying this as someone I'm about to celebrate my 20th anniversary next week so congratulations thank you very much so that maybe this is also like my own you know for, uh, for my own life my own experience but I think a lot of couples um, by the time they get to um, to me now remember I think DC is one of the latest marrying ages it's up among cities in the country um, like people get married much later in DC um, and Uh, Jews tend to get married a little bit later because of the education. Jews tend to have higher education rates. So I'm often dealing with people who have been together for five, six, seven years by the time they get to the chuppah, as we say. Um, And so they've sort of settled into some of the patterns of longer married couples. And so we talk a lot about communication and keeping a relationship Exciting, you know, even three, four, seven years in. And that's an issue that I think is really um, is live in their minds. And, of course, then we talk about children and we talk about all of those.
1: Since young Jews and young couples in general are staying coupled longer before they marry, do you find that young Jews in your congregation are rethinking marriage or rethinking the necessity of it? Or do they still want to be married?
0: Well, look, I yeah, the what they they. The people that I'm working with still tend to want to be married. Like, I haven't I haven't dealt with a lot of couples, personally, at, at Six and I, who are having children without getting married. There's been a few here and there, but it's very much the minority um, for the people I deal with. Yeah, there's still... The people that I'm working with still see marriage as something that's important to them.
1: I wonder if, by way of wrapping up, we could could take on the question that I think every faith leader hears in any time of discord or difficulty, particularly because you have such a young congregation, either from young adults or from their parents. Are we going to be okay? Are my kids okay? Are they doing all right? Are they getting their questions answered? Are they taken care of? Like, Are we going to be all right? I imagine that comes up a lot as a faith leader these days. How do you answer that, at least for the folks at Six and I today?
0: So is the question: Are we going to be okay as like a community? Yeah, are
1: are the folks at Sixth and I doing okay?
0: I um, I think that's a really deep question because I think as a faith leader, my job is not to lie to them, right? I can't pretend that it's all going to be okay, Um, and it's also um, I do think part of my job is to continue to be hopeful. You know, one of the lines that I love is you know, as a Jewish people, you know, we don't we don't have the luxury of despair, and so the question: Are we going to be okay? The answer is yes but only if we do the work together. And I think, you know, to me, that's the most important, uh, one of the most important parts of what it means to be Jewish is that we have a responsibility to the world. So yeah, we will be okay if we make things okay together as a community.
1: Shira Stuttman is senior rabbi at 6th and I, a historic synagogue in downtown Washington. Rabbi Stuttman, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for talking to
0: us. Yeah, thanks so much, Joshua.
1: I'm Joshua Johnson, the host of 1A, a national news program produced by WAMU Public Radio in Washington, distributed by NPR. Make sure to subscribe to Aspen Ideas to go wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can follow at Aspen Ideas all year round on Twitter and Facebook. The Aspen Institute is a nonpartisan forum for values-based leadership and the exchange of ideas. Thanks for listening.